Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Prayer is one of those things that we all believe in and we all struggle to do. And uh, I think the Lord wants to take us as a congregation and me as well, uh, one step deeper, as it were, in our prayer life. I think you know that every, every true revival uh, in, in world history has been preceded by uh, people who earnestly and often uh, for a long time interceded and prayed for God's move. Really, uh, one, of the, my, one of my favorite teachers at, in seminary made the remark, he said, evangelism is reaping the harvests of prayer. You pray, God opens people's hearts, has divine appointments, and people come to the Lord. That's really how it works. Everything of God starts with prayer. And it's not, it's not as, I want you to see it today, not as some simple piety or something God wants to sort of show how much we love him by how miserable we'll stay on our knees or whatever, but that you'll understand that prayer actually changes things. And so we're going to look, go right back into the book of Exodus, and we're going to see a part of the tabernacle. And uh, we're going to let the pattern that he built into the priests of Israel uh, be a model for us. So, Father, come now, and we ask you to open your word, open our ears to hear it, our hearts to receive it, and I ask for grace to speak it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Jesus Christ has called us to be priests of God. So as we read the instructions for the priests of Israel, we find many basic principles which apply to us today. In fact, we discover that each article of the priest's garments each form of their worshipful service and each object in the tabernacle holds a remarkably clear prophetic meaning. Over the past weeks, we've looked at the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies and the altar and laver in the courtyard, but today we'll focus on a small object in the large court of the tent, an area called the Holy Place, which was only 18 inches square by three feet high. It was called the altar of incense. And in spite of its small size, it, listen, this is an important point, it was actually the high point of all priestly service, for it was the place where they would daily fellowship with God in prayer. The Ark of the Covenant represented the heart of God himself and was the place where his presence dwelt in power, but everything else in the tabernacle complex was meant as a means to prepare people to come to this little altar. On the same, in the same room with it were two other symbols meant to remind the nation of the promises of God. On the north side was a table with its 12 large loaves of bread, one for each tribe. By this table, God was promising he would always provide the resources needed by his children he would give them their daily bread. On the south side was a seven-branched lampstand. These lamps burned constantly as a promise that God would always light the pathway of his people seven days a week. 
giving them revelation of his will and word. We'll begin today by looking at the prophetic meaning of the altar of incense and then reflect on how God wants us to pray as New Testament believers. As you came in the, the, what would, was the east side of the court of the tabernacle, there was just one door and it was located on the east. You're, lo you're aimed in the right direction right now. As you moved through that east door, which and there was just one door, of course, that symbolizes there is only one way, Jesus Christ, he's the door. The first thing you would encounter, there was kind of this straight line of things, the first thing you would encounter was the altar. And there was blood atonement, which for us we understand now symbolized the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So we have blood atonement, the cross. The next article that we encounter as we head toward the tabernacle tent is a big bowl, which in some services I called it large bird bath. Yeah, it was a big basin of water where the priests began by having a, first of all, they were bathed as they were prepared. We said that was similar to our water baptism. We too have had our bath. And then each time uh, they were going to minister in the tent or to the people at the altar, they would wash their hands and wash their feet, which we said speaks of continual repentance. And for the t past two weeks, we've looked at that subject of repentance. Now, as we continue to move to the west, the next thing is the tent itself, the, what's called the tabernacle. When we come in, there's, a, there's, there's a, a large first room. And in that large first room, on the north side, is what's called the table of, of showbread. And it is 12 large, and when I say large, there were four quarts of flour in each loaf. I mean, that's going to look like the front wheel on a Fiat. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a big loaf of bread. Uh, I did read last night on something, and I think it's unleavened bread, but however you slice it, it will be a large piece of bread. Thank you. I just, when I got home last night, it was interesting, because I'm talking about this very thing, and on the front of this, I have an archaeological magazine, a biblical archaeological, I get, and there's, there's the menorah that is, is shown on an arch of Titus in Rome. Uh, that was one of their great triumphs, and for Many years, they displayed the menorah and the table of showbread and all of this in Rome in a, in a, in a, a place, a temple of peace that they had made um, because they were proud of it. So Jews would even come to Rome to see, their, to see their things. There's question as to whether that menorah exists right now. And there's debate, and uh, I, won't, I won't go into that. But uh, it's, it was a beautiful uh, menorah, which is the, on the south side, and that's that great big seven-branched candle or lampstand upon which the top of each of these branches was a little uh, uh, dish of oil, fresh olive oil, it was changed in the morning, changed in the evening, the soot wiped off of everything so everything was clean and sparkling, a little wick and it would lean toward the front uh, casting the light into the room. So on the north side you've got this, these loaves of bread, 12 of them, one for each tribe. God will give us our daily bread and has a portion for each of his children. Do you see that? That's a, there's a whole sermon right there. There's a portion for you. God has provided your portion. And then on the south side, we have a promise that God will give us light, revelation, 
seven days a week. And these are kept burning 24 hours a day, so 24-7. God promises his revelation of his word and of his ways. Bread and light, our source, our resource, and our guide. So here are these symbols of promise, but at the front of this thing, the most western side of this little room, right in front of the veil, is this 18-inch by 18-inch square little altar. A little, it's got a dec decorative rim around it, and it's three feet high. It stands before the veil, which represented sin. Sin which separates us from the glory of God. On the other side of the veil is what? The Holy of Holies. And there's one, actually two combined into one articles in there. And what is that? The Ark of the Covenant, which has the mercy seat on top of it. They're really one. And we said that spoke of the heart of God. You have his law and you have grace. His, right, his justice and his mercy all pulled together, modeling for us the heart of God. And upon it, the Shekinah glory of God was so intense that the priests couldn't even go in there uh, and, uh, without being dropped to the floor by God's glory. So his glory dwells there, and actually that cloud would go clear up, I don't know how far into the sky, of, of shining, uh, radiating the glory of God. Here's this little, and this little uh, altar called the altar of incense. In the mornings, the priests would go in and they would, first thing, offer a lamb. I'm going to show you the texts, uh, but in the interest of time, I'll just, I'm going to just show them to you. In the morning, the priest was to go offer a lamb out on the altar. Every morning, the lamb would be offered for the sins of the people, washing away any sin that the relationship with God might be continually covered. You and I don't have to have a lamb offered over and over again, do we? Because for us, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, has been offered once for all. Remember that phrase? That's a marvelous phrase. Once for all, one time for all people, one time for all sin. So we don't have repeated offers, but offerings, but we do in our hearts, by living faith in Christ, we are continually covered by the blood. But there, every morning, and then every evening, a lamb would be offered. After offering the lamb, the priest would go in, and it was, it was their job to trim and clean and fresh oil in the, in the menorah, the lampstand. As, but as they did this, the first thing they would do is they would go over and they would take a handful of, of a beautiful scented um, incense, and there'd be a bowl of coals that came from the fire from the altar, the fire which apparently had been started by God himself, quite, quite the fire. And they would throw this incense onto that and this beautiful sweet smelling smoke would billow up and would fill uh, the holy place as they trimmed the lights. And they would stand there also and pray. You can see an example of this. You can look it up later. It's in Luke chapter 1. If you remember John the Baptist's mother and father, Zacharias and Elizabeth. All right. When Zacharias went in, Remember, he went in to offer incense before the Lord. It was his turn. They, they, they shared the turns of who got to do this. It was his turn to go in and offer incense. And as he was standing praying, the angel Gabriel stood beside this little three foot, uh, uh, 18 inch by 18 inch, three foot high. And he was standing there and, and Zacharias looked up and Gabriel said, you're going to have a son. And Zacharias said, 
how do I know I'll have a son at my age? And Gabriel said, you want a sign, do you? Well, then how about this? You'll not be able to speak until your child is born. Bless you. <laughs> Let me just give you a clue. If, if Gabriel shows up, just, yes, sir. Hallelujah. Something on that order would save you some trouble. But this is the very place. And it, the incense represented the prayers of the people. And I, I, don't, I don't have the time to try and, and develop all of that, but the texts are there. I give you the text. There's no question that's what it means. It's not me surmising it might mean prayer. It did represent prayer. And you'll notice it's a sweet, beautiful smelling aroma because God is pleased to receive their prayers. Their prayers were to him a sweet aroma. He's telling us something. He's saying, I promise you, Bread and light. I promise to provide for you. I promise to guide you. I always will. And all you need do is come to me in prayer. And your prayers will be received by me. I, I, they come up to me as a sweet smelling aroma. I love your prayers. Lift them up to me. And so every morning and every evening, the priests of Israel would go and stand and pray on behalf of their nation putting this incense there and letting it rise up before the Lord as sweet-smelling incense. A lamb for their sins, incense for their needs. Why should we pray? Why does God want prayer? And I'm going to talk about this for just a minute because in the American culture, there is a, um, a folk religion that is very deep across the board. Almost whether you're a Christian or not, you have a certain assumption about God. In America, and this isn't true everywhere, but it is true in America, that is that the thought is that God is in control of everything. Now we say God is in control, and, and it's, a, it's a good expression if you know what it means. But what people often assume that to mean is that God is like a puppeteer and he is controlling everything that happens in life. And so, in effect, fate, whatever happens, is automatically God in people's thinking. Now, if God is controlling everything that happens, why pray? I mean, what, if you aren't going to change anything, if he's this sort of monolithic uh, judge in the sky who is so great and smart that he doesn't even interested in what we have to say, why would you pray? Why would you go to the trouble? Why would you sacrifice the time? I mean, if he's got it, if he's got it handled, let him handle it. And I think that's why prayer is something that's troubling for a lot of American Christians. Finding time to discipline prayer, it's like if I'm real pietistic, I, I see prayer almost as a form of, of, of self-imposed of su self suffering. I will show you, God, how much I love you by how long I sit here on my knees miserable. <laughs> and so if, if I sit here a long time miserable, you'll know I really love you. And so there's kind of a piety built into some people, but there's not a good understanding at all. So let's ask the question, why does he want us to pray? Well, I'm going to submit to you, prayer makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. First of all, God wants us to partner with him 
in saving others so he can share with us the eternal rewards. It is actually a loving invitation of God saying, I want you to join me in the redemptive work I have on planet Earth. I want you, I'm going to partner with you in the work I do. And, and what I, I will wait for your prayers. I will, you will be an integral part of the process. As you pray, I will act. Don't you, aren't you almost troubled by those promises that say, whose sins you, you forgive, I'll forgive? Whose sins you hold, I'll hold? You think, wait, no, 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 don't leave it up to me. You know, you handle it, you handle it. And he says, no, no, he says, man, you forgive him, I'll forgive him. And it's, it troubles us, doesn't it? Whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. You, no, no, you just bind who you want to bind. <laughs> Leave me out of it. But God keeps reaching out and saying, you're in this process with me. You're in this process with me. And you are. I mean, if you don't believe me, just test it. Begin to consistently lift somebody's name before the Lord and ask for, for God's mercy to come upon them and to be drawn to Christ. Give it enough time, like 18 months to two years if you need it. And watch what happens. Just test it. What you will find is all of a sudden the Spirit of God will begin to work with that person and they will be drawn to Christ. You say, wait, 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 wait. That gives me more responsibility than I want. Tough. It does, I agree. And it's the way God is. And you say, well, what is the point of this? God is saying that someday when we get to heaven and people are, people are there, he wants to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy master. He wants us to share in the joy of eternal rewards. And what are eternal rewards? Eternal rewards are people. Having people say, thank you for praying for me. Don't we assume that there's lots of people praying right now? And that we really, if we pray, it's incidental. We assume that there's this mythical army of grandmothers uh, who are kind of covering the turf, you know, and any of us who just pray, we're adding our prayers to them. And, and I do believe many of us have praying grandmothers. But ask yourself this question, how many, how many real people praying, interceding for the lost, do you know? When you come right down to it, you won't be able to think of very many. And that's the trouble. That's the problem. There aren't that many real prayers. Prayer is hard work. It's opposed by the devil. No, you'll never go to your knees, but what the enemy will try to stop you. Have you noticed? I won't, I won't go at length in that. Listen to this verse out of Ezekiel chapter 22. The Lord speaking through Ezekiel says, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. Now that's, he's talking about prayer. He wants somebody who will pray for Israel in its, in its fallen condition. The walls, its spiritual walls have collapsed because of their sin. They are now vulnerable to the, to the devil and everything else. And he says, I, and, and, God, and, and really deserve God's judgment. He says, I wish I had a Moses who would fight for them and intercede for them and call on me for mercy. And he says, I looked for someone and could find no one. No one would move into that broken wall and stand there and plead for my people. No one. 
There's a passage in Isaiah, it says, I looked for it says, the Lord looked for an intercessor and there was no one, and he was amazed. Imagine that, God being amazed. I can't believe it, I can't find anybody who'll pray. Do not assume there's an army of people out there covering the turf, and if you pray, it's just one more little helpful part. You may well be the only person praying for that person's soul. And it makes a difference. Secondly, we must exercise spiritual authority in order to properly protect ourselves and others. As we prayed just now for our missionaries, part of what we prayed for was spiritual, it was spiritual warfare. We prayed for protection. Uh, I, I trust as you pray, you'll be, there'll be times when the Lord leads you to just bind the enemy's power. You know, we're told we crush underfoot the serpents and scorpions. Uh, we have authority. Why doesn't God just handle it? This is the way it works. You are involved. And so you and I exercise that authority. I think it has something to do with the fallen nature of the planet. The planet's been given over. Has been given over in a sense to the, the ruler of this world is who? Satan. Satan. It isn't God. This isn't my father's world. He made it. And then he gave it to Adam and Eve. And we gave it to this snake. Stupid move. And now we still have a resident, a resident authority in us. And so as we invite God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, we release his hands into a, into a hostile planet. I think that's the way it's working. Some people run around and they want people to pray for them. Just like some people run around and they want somebody to always give them God's word for them. I'm going to tell you something. At some point you must grow up. And you must carry your own weight spiritually. You must, you must learn to swing the sword for yourself and for your own household. We cannot pray for you forever and carry you. You must get down on your own and walk. And God will teach you to pray with authority. It's, the, it's Christ's authority. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore. See, go in my authority. I have the authority. Use my name. Go and extend my authority. So you must learn to pray for your family. This is where your safety will be. This is where your protection is. Some people think, I can't believe it. I became a Christian and look at the trouble. No, you're a target once you become a Christian. If, and, and you're a dangerous situation if you, if you are a Christian and yet you have no idea how to use any spiritual authority. You don't pray. You don't, you don't use the apparatus God has given you for your protection. You just stand there saying, I'm a Christian. You're more vulnerable than ever. Your protection comes. God has given us the tools. But it, a huge part of it comes in that prayer life. You must pray. You pray for your family, you pray for your children, you pray for your household, you pray for your, yourself. You, you cover this, and this is where the peace and safety comes over our homes. Most answers to prayer require faith over an extended period of time. Therefore, we must repeatedly refresh our faith and not let it erode. Why do I have to pray for a long time for something? Didn't God hear me the first time? Of course he heard you the first time. It has nothing to do with God hearing the prayer. But what must happen is you must continue to have faith over the, the period of time. 
It is your trusting, your waiting, your calling on the Lord that releases his hand. Some things get answered right away. But many things take a prolonged period of time to happen. Because I believe God's working in real situations with human hearts and they change slowly often. I find when I, you keep a prayer journal, you can mark, you can, you can test this. You keep a prayer journal and you write down your requests, you'll find that some of them are answered virtually within the week. But other ones will take as long as 18 months, two years. But what I do is I just, I just, I don't ask over and over again. I simply express faith by thanking. And so I go down the little line of my thing and I say, thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Jesus. I'm trusting you for this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The equation is my side. I'm keeping faith alive, saying I'm still trusting. I'm still waiting. I'm standing in faith, believing you to fulfill your promise. What I have observed, just I, I, I'm sure I could statistically mark this out, is it's about a two-year window. I'll have virtually everything on my list answered. Some cases there are items here and there who take longer. But mostly within a two-year window, I'll have everything I've asked for answered. It's amazing. This prayer works. But if you don't learn to stand in prayer, and, I don't, and, and what you're doing is keeping faith fresh, keeping faith alive, keeping your own heart, thanking the Lord over and over again so that you don't erode, so that your faith doesn't die in the process of waiting, if you learn to do that, you will see Virtually everything you ask for answered. He's not kidding when he makes these promises. We just don't know how to receive them. Prayer awakens our spiritual ears and eyes, which are essential for protection, guidance, and spiritual gifts. How spiritual are you first thing in the morning? Me neither. Yeah, I wake up and I'm just like mud. I could have been, I could have been just an absolute fiery you know, ball of spirituality when I went to bed. But the next morning, oh, burp. And now I've got to start my day. Do you see the problem? I'm now going to start my day in this, in this kind of dull, muddy-headed condition in which my, my spirituality has leaked out of my toe somewhere. And I've got, got to walk through my day. That's why the Lord has set in a pattern. He says, morning and evening morning and evening so take it, it, it doesn't have to be a long time in fact I think you could take five minutes I'm testing this quite a bit lately where I can just say I mean I pray all the time but finding time for discipline prayer learning to discipline my prayer and do it on a consistent basis is something that I think is tough for us but just taking five minutes where you just focus your mind, and I'll show you some of the things you can cover, and you can cover it very simply. Just refocusing your faith, awakening, letting your spiritual eyes and ears be attuned again to the Lord. That's all it takes to start your day, and now you're walking in the Spirit through the day, able to listen, trusting God, rather than stumbling into the day and having to pray emergency prayers. Intercession is one of the most selfless acts of love and therefore helps create Jesus' heart in us. I believe that the Lord wants to draw us more and more to praying for others. And it's not fun. It's not, it, it, it's selfless, I should say. 
It's a selfless thing where we begin to love each other uh, in the most kind way possible of holding one another before the Lord. We need to constantly repair the damage done by sin, confessing our sins. I'll show you that in a minute. Repeatedly submitting our will to God. Don't you notice that your will, you submit it to God and it comes right back like a yo-yo? I mean, it's like, here I am, God. Zoop. Lord, I just give you myself. Zoom. All of my life is yours, God. No. Comes right back, doesn't it? Yeah, that's human nature. That's why we, it's a, the, our submitting ourselves to Christ is a repeated thing. It's something we must do over and over again because our nature is to take ourselves back. We, re, we also need to regularly rinse offenses out of our hearts. You can tell the enemy's opposing your prayer life when the, the, you can find your thoughts ruminating on offenses and on painful memories of the past. Do you find those coming? Just flooding in. There you go. You know, all of a sudden you're, you're off in a memory, a reverie of, of what was done or said or, or somebody who's hurt you. You're, and you, it's, that's so, it's just, there it is. The enemy's trying to keep us from our prayers. Now, I'll show you in a moment that Jesus says the first thing we should do before we start praying is rinse our hearts by forgiveness. Forgive and cleanse our hearts. That's part of the Lord's Prayer. Now, how should we pray? Let's say we've got five or ten minutes in the morning and five or ten minutes in the evening. Uh, hopefully it, it, it can extend more than that. But I believe that you could make a huge start and begin to change much in your life. And if, if, if it were just five or ten minutes. How many would say, I'm a busy person, but I could give five minutes in the morning? Could, couldn't we? This is not undoable. See, this is simply if we understand why it, we could put five minutes. I'm not asking you for an hour. I'm not asking you for some extended period of time because Jesus actually says we're not heard for our many words. He says, keep it simple. You bore me quickly. <laughs> you know, I already know what you're asking for. Don't go on anymore. <laughs> I do think there's patience in God where it's like, man, quiet. Shh. So it isn't a matter of us just going on and on. Just get to the point. And you can do it efficiently and quickly and have prayed the things that need to be prayed. So we could give him five minutes in the morning. We could give him just a short period of time before we go to bed, couldn't we? This is doable. Anybody could do it. And I, why am I saying this? I believe that if you and I will take this path, God will do mighty things in our lives, and then I'm going to invite us to do it corporately and to see him move through our church. He answers prayer. If we want to see revival, we need to pray. If we want to see people saved, we need to pray. If we want to see miracles happen and healings come, we need to start praying and asking for it. And we'll have it. We'll have it, you see. In Matthew 6, I'm, I'm not even going to take you there because of the time. It's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
Here's what Jesus says in, the pa in that passage of verse 5 through 13. In my words, I paraphrase what I believe he says. How to pray. First of all, do your daily prayer in private and keep your mind focused on talking to God. It's not wrong to pray together, but there ought to be a daily prayer life morning and evening. Secondly, keep it short and simple. Long prayers, in some cases, arise from unbelief. Doesn't mean you can't pray a long time. But long prayers about the same matter mean you don't think he hears or understands. Remembering the point of your prayer is not to inform God of things he doesn't know. It's really important. You're not telling him anything he doesn't know. It's, a, it's simply a matter of our side of the equation. Now, I never saw it as clearly before as I was preparing this. But as I was going through the Lord's Prayer... I'm always amazed at that phrase that says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And actually, as we have forgiven our debtors, is, it would be the proper uh, Greek on that. And it's kind of, I thought, what do you, you know, where are we going with that as we have forgiven? I, I didn't realize, but I should have, Jesus expects us to forgive people before we go to prayer. He says, I, I give you the lists of them. There's a whole bunch of passages. And so his assumption is that the first thing we do as we get before the Lord is rinse our hearts of offense. That we would forgive. He would even say, if it's possible and you need to, get up off your knees, go call somebody or reconcile with somebody if there's some outstanding issue. Go fix it before you even go to prayer. So that when he comes to the part that says, Father, forgive us of our sins, you can say, as I have just forgiven, I've just extended mercy, and I ask for that same mercy for myself now. It's just part of the pattern. He goes on and says in verse 9, Remember that God loves you like a father, our Father who art in heaven, and that you can totally trust him because hallowed be is thy name. He's holy. Begin by submitting to him afresh and telling him you want his will in everything that happens that day. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Yo-yo, out we go. Lord, I give it to you again today. I give you this day. I give you my life. I give you myself this day. Specifically ask for whatever resources you need. Give us this day our daily bread. Whatever you need. Guidance, wisdom, anointing, protection, money. Ask for what you need. Confess your sins and ask for forgiveness. You should have already forgiven others before you started. Ask God to guide you away from any trap the devil might set for you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Or if he allows you to face temptation, to help you so you'll not be overcome. Remember, God is able to protect you because he's far more powerful than the devil. What are the elements there? Forgiveness, submission, Asking, confessing, asking for protection from temptation. We could do that in five minutes. We could do that in five minutes. Would it make a difference? Let's try. Let's try it. Let's try it. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.